Well, how's everybody doing today? I have an honest question to ask. Who here actually knew it was daylight savings today? Like, who actually knew that? Because I didn't know that. <laughs> I set my alarm for 6.15 this morning, and when it went off, I have one of those clocks that kind of projects the time up on the roof so I can just look up, and it said 5.15, and I was like, what the heck? Like, what happened? And then I looked at my phone and realized, oh, it's daylight savings. So <laughs> a little tired today, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, anyways, so um, <coughs> what I wanted to talk about today, and this is a message that's been on my heart for a while, is um, the message that I'm going to be preaching today kind of has to do with spiritual warfare, but it's not maybe in the way that you would think. I think so often we, when you think of spiritual warfare, at least when I think of that, there's such a focus on the enemy. Um, there's such a focus on what is Satan doing, what are the demons doing, what are they up to, and it can kind of get you in a place of fear. It can get you in a place of kind of like overanalyzing on that, and so that's not why I'm here today. I want to, for me, what I want us to focus on today is who God is in the midst of our spiritual battles, that we would set our eyes on who Jesus is, who our God is, because if we don't set our eyes there first, and if we don't, <coughs> there we go, is that better? Okay. <coughs> if we don't set our eyes on who God is first, we're going to get messed up. We're going to focus too much on the enemy and get twisted around because there's a lot of weird stuff out there on the internet. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I want to do today is set our eyes on who God is. Um, and ultimately, I want us to leave here today with a greater confidence in who God is. I want us to leave knowing how powerful he is, how mighty he is in our battles because we all go through things and, I, and so I want us all just to our, that our confidence in God would almost be inflated today as a result of what I feel like he's put on my heart so I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll jump in Heavenly Father God Lord we just come before you today Lord I thank you so much just for your word I thank you for its truth God and I pray Lord that we would hear from it and just be changed as a result God Lord, I pray that by your power, Lord, for those today that may be going through a battle, for those that um, may be struggling, God, I pray that you would make a spectacle of the enemy today by the power of who you are, God, that, that, that all of us, God, that we, your people, would see who you are rightly today, Lord, and better know who we are as a result of that, God, that we don't have to fear darkness, we don't have to fear the things of this world because of who you are, God, so I just pray and just ask that you would move mightily amongst your people today. And that every word that comes out of my mouth, God, may it be from you and from you only, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So really where this all started for me was a couple months ago, I was spending some quiet time with the Lord. And he had just led me to Psalm 18. And so I'm going to read through um, part of this now. And then we're going to come back to it later on in the message. But um, first going to read through Psalm 18. 1 through 19, which I just feel like so displays some of what I want to talk about today. <clears throat> so it says this, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the very power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me, the floods of destruction swept over me, 
The grave wrapped its toes, or excuse me, wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path, but in my distress I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help, and he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hail and burning coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and burning coals. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flashed and they were confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Amen. So, what I see here from this is that God's love for us is a violent love. It's not just a passive, easy, you know, I think sometimes when we think of God in the New Testament, we see his mercy and grace and love, and that's all true, but we also forget some of the God of the Old Testament, that he's also a God of wrath. He's a God of war, a God of mighty power to come against the enemy. And thankfully, you know, in Christ, you know, that that wrath is no longer at us, but it's against the evils of this world. It's come, that wrath is directed towards our enemy, the enemy, the devil, you know, and so I just, that's what I see here is God showing us that he has a violent love for us. He, it angers him. It literally said that, um, <clears throat> oh, where was it? It said, the, oh yes, the foundations of the mountain shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. So we just see that it angers God to see us be messed with. When we're going through battles, when we're going through seasons where it feels like Satan's beating us down and we're going through hard stuff, it angers God. It makes him mad. And so when I was reading this, I also felt like he reminded me of the movie Taken. And I know that's kind of a weird thing to think about because that's a pretty rough movie, but I felt like he gave me this picture of a father who literally hunted down and killed every single enemy until his daughter was safe. If you're not familiar with the movie, that's kind of the premise is this ex-CIA agent goes after his daughter who got kidnapped and sold into sex trafficking, and he literally goes, and yeah, it's a, it's a pretty rough movie, but I still, feel like <laughs> it, I still feel like the Lord just gave me that picture that that's how he feels about us, that he wants to destroy and kill out everything that tries to hold us in bondage, everything that tries to hold us in captivity, until they're all wiped away. And so, yes, we have to, so essentially we have to just remember that God is not just a God of grace and mercy, but also a God of wrath and judgment against evil. Um, And one thing that I was thinking about when I um, was preparing this message is I remembered this story that I had heard on the radio a long time, and I've tried to find 
the message because I haven't been able to find it. I was, I think it was back when I was in college, I was driving back from having worked at a summer camp all summer and I was listening to this Christian radio station and kind of randomly came across it and this guy was sharing his testimony and I believe the man was some sort of like something to do with the military or some something with something kind of in that realm and he was sharing the story about how um, one day his mom had called him up and was frantic and afraid and was just like son you know I was spending quiet time with the Lord and I felt like he just gave me this word and he told me that Satan's gathering his forces against you and that you need to watch out and be careful, you know, because the enemy's coming against you. And, you know, and I'm not, and I think, not that that word wasn't true, but I think maybe it was just spoken in a way, maybe it was premature or just wasn't seen in the full picture. And so he had shared how when he heard that word, he immediately was so afraid because I, th- I believe he was going on some sort of mission where he's going to be going in a war zone and it was going to be dangerous. And so to have that, and then your mom tell you that Satan's gathering his forces against you. You know, that's not not a good situation to be in. But what was amazing is he goes on to say that he cried out to God for help, and what he, and what the Lord said next to him, like, still wrecks me when I hear it to this day. And so he cries out to God for help, saying, God, Satan's gathering his forces against me. What do I do, Lord? What do I do? What do I do with this word? And God responds and says, son, Satan may be gathering his forces against you, but know that I am gathering my forces against him. And so what ended up happening to him, he did end up getting in like a helicopter crash or something like that, and, but the Lord spared him from death. He, God saved him. Even though Satan was out to kill him, God's forces were against Satan and his life was spared. And I think some of us just need to realize that today, that no matter what, the enemy might be trying to do to you, know that God's forces are gathered against him. Know that heaven's armies are behind you. That <clears throat> Yes, so, amen. So, <clears throat> wanted to kind of go more into this important of remembering who God is in the midst of our battles. You know that, again, it can be easy to focus on the wrong thing. So what does it look like to remember who God is and who is he? What does scripture say of him? Um, and I think the importance of remembering who he is is because life happens, you know, we're all human, you know, we go through hard things, we get distracted by life, whether sickness comes or financial burdens come, something happens to your kids that's scary, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen to us that cause us to lose sight of who God is. And what I was reminded of is in the Old Testament, there were moments where God had the Israelites establish what was called an altar of remembrance. And an example of this is seen in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and it says this, When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe, and tell them, Take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. 
These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So what's really interesting, and I've been reading through the Old Testament lately, is that was kind of, in a way, the marking of them leaving the wilderness. Like God literally had them mark the exit of their wilderness season. And so they established this altar of remembrance to remember all that God had brought them through, how he had brought them out of the land of Egypt, brought them by his mighty hand through the wilderness, and established them in the place that he had prepared for them in the land of Israel. And so what I want to challenge us with today with that is think about your own life. Like what are some altars of remembrance that have happened in your life that you can think back on a time where God moved mightily and delivered you from a situation, whether it be a sickness or just fear or, you know, whatever, just fill in the blank. I know all of us here probably have an example of something that we've walked through and we've seen God move in a mighty way. Um, And I can think of my own life, um, something that I often think on is there is a time in my life, and I think I've shared this before, when I was a junior in high school, I went through one of the hardest battles of my life with anxiety, where I was literally just petrified and so afraid, and just in a place where it felt like I couldn't function normally, just because I was so afraid of just random stuff that would come to my mind, and overthinking, and just all, all kinds of stuff that um, just wasn't from the Lord, and because of that, it kind of caused me to fall away from God, and kind of went on a journey of rebellion, and doing things I shouldn't have been doing, um, but towards the end of that season, um, I had the opportunity to go to this conference up in Colorado, um, because of my good friend Dave Claflin over there had invited me at the last minute, and this was back when I was, what, 17 years old, and so he was a small group leader for our youth group at the time, and going into this trip, kind of had lived this whole year's worth of just living in sin, running from the Lord, dealing with this anxiety stuff, and I kind of went into this trip kind of feeling ashamed and fearful and like, oh, you know, I feel like I've just done all these things, like, how can God really redeem me from this, or I just feel like I've done too much to... um, be worthy of God's grace, and I know that's such a lie, but that's just what the enemy can convince you of sometimes, but one of the most amazing things that happened at that conference was there was a man that preached about different doors that the enemy can get a foothold in your heart to keep you from walking in the fullness of who God's created you to be and just having an intimate relationship with him, and one of the doors that they talked about was the door of fear, where Satan will try to use fear as a wedge in your heart to keep you from the Lord, to keep you from trusting in God and believing in who he is. And when they had that altar call, I immediately knew in my spirit that that was what was keeping me from the Lord, that I had allowed this voice of fear in my life to speak louder than God's voice. And I remember running up to the altar, getting on my knees, and just crying out to God, um, just like in Psalm 18, like just crying out to God and asking him to deliver me from this enemy called fear, and in a moment, just like, it was, I can't even describe it, but it felt like the, the year's worth of all that I was living in and doing, and just the shame and the weight of everything that the enemy had tried to do to destroy my life was instantly lifted in a matter of seconds. I felt just all of that lift off, and just felt his joy rise up, and so that's something that I have to remember and look back on when I go through battles today, when I go through moments where I'm struggling. I use that as kind of a mental altar of remembrance to encourage myself. What God did then, he will do again and again and again and again. And, and so that's my encouragement to you all today that 
if you have that kind of story, if you have that moment in your life where God did something amazing and set you free, know that he'll do it again. Um, and ultimately, if, you're, if you are here, and let's say you don't have an example of that um, in your life, maybe you haven't gone through something hard or haven't seen him move yet, well, the good news is, is that we have this guy right here that's full of stories of God's amazing power and his demonstration of power against the enemy and against evil. And so we're going to read through some passages that I'm going to say serve as an altar of remembrance for us. Um, I think one example would, from, I'm going to go through the Old Testament first, then we'll go through some New Testament examples. But I think one of the first Old Testament examples I think of is God's deliverance of his people from Egypt, like we were just talking about. Um, and specifically, when you think about the plagues that God put on the land of Egypt and put against Pharaoh, um, some scholars actually believe that each of those plagues that God put, whether it be turning the Nile to blood or the locusts or just different, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but essentially some scholars say that those plagues were actually God um, demonstrating his victory and power against the false gods of Israel. Because, for example, like the Nile River, they worshiped the goddess of the Nile, and um, that was a major, I guess, religious symbol for, um, for the Egyptians. And so when God turned it to blood, it kind of shows like him almost killing that, that god, killing that false god, and just demonstrating his authority and power um, over the false gods of, Is or of, um, of Egypt. Another example that came to my mind is um, from the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 5, um, the story where God, when the Ark of the Covenant was put in Dagon's temple and the idol Dagon falls over. Um, and so essentially what had happened is the Israelites had lost a battle and the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. They put it in their, <coughs> their, um, their temple of Dagon and it says this, um, after the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened, and Dagon had fallen face down before the Ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. How amazing is that, that literally this idol falls face down before the Lord, because who knows that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is God. There is no one greater than him, and this false God that they had worshipped was nothing compared to the power of who God was. In fact, it, the story even goes on to say that the people of Ashdod literally cried out and said, we need to get this thing out of here, otherwise we're going to be destroyed alongside our God of Dagon. So I just think that's another amazing story of God revealing his power against just idolatry and the false gods. Um, another example that I think of comes from uh, the book of Second Kings chapter 6, and this is where um, it talks about Elijah and the chariots of fire that were surrounding uh, the town. So essentially what had happened just to give a little backstory, there, the king of Aram had mobilized an army against Elijah bec because he was basically prophetically foiling his plans. So, this enemy of the Egypt or of the Israelites um, 
kept trying to make plans of where to attack the Israelites, where to go to try to meet them in battle. But every time he tried to make plans, the Lord would reveal to Elijah what they were planning to do. And then he would warn the king of Israel, and then they were able to basically avoid the disaster that was trying to come against them. And so the king of Aram learns of this, and he's angry at Elisha and sends out an army to try to um, capture him. And so it says this, the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who is it? that has been informing the king of Israel of my plans. It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the, king of Is- tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Do not be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And so what I want to tell y'all today is that maybe you're in a moment where you feel surrounded by the enemy. Maybe you're in a moment where you feel like you don't know what to do. You feel trapped. You feel um, like there's no way out of your situation. But what you need to realize is that despite what you might feel the enemy trying to do around you, know that God has already surrounded the enemy with his forces like we were talking about earlier. That it is that no matter what Satan might be trying to do against you, God has already established his forces against the enemy. So now let's look at some New Testament examples of, G- just, um, of Jesus and his display of power against the rulers of darkness and against the enemy, against demons. I think one of those great examples is just the times where we see Jesus casting out evil spirits um, throughout his ministry. And one of those examples that I think of is Matthew eight twenty eight through 32. And it says this, when Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gar- Gardenes, uh, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. They began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance, so the demons begged Jesus, If you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. And Jesus said, all right, go, he commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. And so what I think is so interesting and cool and and just over the years when I've thought about this passage, um, what it makes me think about is it's so easy, I guess, just I think when we have the wrong perspective to be perspective to be afraid to be afraid of what demons are doing to kind of hear that word and or hear about that and get kind of uncomfortable but look at how they responded to Jesus they literally shrieked in fear at him because of his greatness because they know who he is they shrieked in fear and cried out please don't torture us are you here to torture us so they already know what their end is they already know where they're ultimately headed 
and they, to the point where they were begging him. They were begging him not to torture him. They had to beg before him. So why should we ever be afraid of the spirits? Because if, if Christ is in us, you know, and we're in Christ and who he is, like, what do we have to fear? Because they're afraid of him, and he's on our side. Um, and ultimately, when we look throughout the Gospels, there's never a situation where Jesus commands a spirit to come out and it doesn't come out. So ultimately, every spirit has to obey his authority and his power. Um, another scripture that I love, um, in this is from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And it's talking about the man of lawlessness being revealed um, in the end. And it says this. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. And so the fact that his very breath, like, that's nothing. Like, that, like he doesn't even have to try to destroy the Antichrist. He doesn't even have to try to destroy the enemy. It's just with the very breath of his mouth, Satan is just blown away and defeated. And I think this leads into the final example that I want to show of Jesus, and this might honestly be the greatest one of all, um, but this is Jesus's final blow to the enemy, which is found in the book of Revelation, and it says this. So first, we're going to read Revelation 19, 11 through 16, and then jump over to 19 through 21. So it says this, then I saw heaven opened, and also before I go forward, I want to Focus for a moment on how the word describes Jesus, like the picture that it portrays, because, again, I think we can see Jesus as the meek, humble, loving servant, which he is, but I think this just shows the wrath side of Jesus that's so beautiful, and I'm getting pumped just, like, thinking about it. So it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider's name was Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, his, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Like, how amazing is that? Like, that's our God. That's who we serve. That is our Jesus. That is the picture that God shows of his power and his wrath um, to come and to destroy evil once and for all. So going forward, it says this. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And it goes on to say this of the enemy and his final doom. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numerous as the sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they were, went up to, on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. 
but fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so I think what we need to realize is that Satan is nothing more than a man on death row. Like his, his end is coming. It's already been established. Jesus has already, like from where God stands outside of eternity, outside of time, like this has already been done. Like to him, this is already done. We haven't experienced this, but yet God has already seen it through. And so just know that, that the next time the enemy tries to tempt you or, or tries to bring fear or cause you to just get twisted up in, in all those things, just know that he's already a defeated foe. Go back and reread these scriptures. Remind yourself of who God is. Um, and really the point of sharing all these scriptures today is to, like I said, I want us to just leave here inflated in our confidence in God, that we would know who he is, truly see him for all of who he is, and that we wouldn't ever find ourselves just being cowering away in fear, because there's no reason for that in our lives. And so what I want to segue into from this is that from this place of knowing and remembering who God is and who he is against evil, then enables us to know who we are and who God's established us in and our authority to walk in while we're here on earth. Um, <clears throat> so here are some examples, I think, from Scripture of God's people knowing their authority. And I want to, again, start from the Old Testament. And one of the first Scriptures that had come to mind was from the book of Samuel again, where uh, David confronts Goliath. And so this first section, <coughs> excuse me, it's from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 24 through 26, and it says this. <clears throat> as soon as the Israelite army saw him, being Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he was allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And one thing that I felt like the Lord brought to mind in this is that he kind of highlighted this section where it says, The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. And I think the reality is, is that Saul should have been the one to go out and kill Goliath. Like, he was the one that was anointed. He was the one that was seated in a place of authority to lead the people of Israel into that. But ultimately, I think he, he allowed fear to rob him of that authority. Instead of believing in who God was, instead of being like David and believing who God was and what God could do, he allowed fear to steal that from him and that place of authority that he should have been walking in. And so... I guess just I want to encourage us that that's why it's important for us to know our authority so that we don't miss out on opportunities for God to use us. Um, and so going forward, David says this, and this is verses 32 through 37. He says, <clears throat> don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. And Saul responds saying, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. 
If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And so here we see David knowing his authority in God, knowing what God has done for him, having this history of relationship with the Lord and believing in faith that he knows who God is and he knows who he is. And so therefore he can go forward and face this enemy with confidence. And so going forward in verses 41 through 47, it says, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And this is my favorite part. David replied to this Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And so I think what this says to us, and it's an example of when we know our authority, we know that it's not just us and our own power. I think sometimes we think it's just us versus the enemy, and really it's God in us through the enemy. So we come against him in the name of the Lord. We come against him in the name of Jesus and defeat him. Um, And David even goes on to say this even more, or I think there's another example of David describing this, and and I didn't even realize this when I was first preparing this message going back to Psalm 18, kind of had we kind of read through the first part where it talks about him crying out to God, God responding on his behalf. But listen to what this says. Um, this is Psalm 18:32 through 45. God arms me with strength, and He makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hand for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. And here's where I feel like his authority in God is revealed. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You placed my foot on their necks. I've destroyed all who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to their rescue. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I ground them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers, and you appointed me ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit. Foreign nations cringe before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. And so again, I think this just goes on to show David's confidence in the Lord, that he knew who his God was. He knew that it was God who had anointed him and empowered him to destroy his enemies, to destroy those that set themselves up against him. So now moving over to the New Testament, um, I felt like the Lord led me to Luke 
chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Um, and this is kind of a, an example of where Jesus is establishing his disciples' authorities against Satan and against the, the devil and the demons. And so it says this. <clears throat> when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but do not rejoice that the evil spirits are obey you, but rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Yeah. Amen. So really, we, like I said, Jesus is establishing his authority in and amongst his disciples, and we just see this reality of because of the intimate relationship that they had with Jesus, they were empowered to do these things, and they didn't even have to rejoice about it because it was kind of an established thing. It was done, and all they had to do was focus on just loving God and being with him and knowing that and walking that place. And I've heard some people say, and you know, some people out there might say, well, yeah, well, you know, his disciples had authority against the enemy, but what about us? Because maybe that was just for them. Maybe that was just for that time. But what about Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 18? where it says this, um, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. And they will be able to place their hands on the sick. They will be healed. And so I think this just makes it clear that those who believe, these things will follow. So for us, church, if you believe... (laughs) These things will follow. You have the authority in you already. If you believe in Christ, if you have committed to him or committed him as your Lord and Savior and believe, then these things should follow your life and be present within your life. Um, And I think Paul also kind of gives us an example of what our authority looks like as well in the book of Ephesians chapters 1 and chapter 2. So I'm going to read from chapter 1 first. It says this. Verses 19 through 21. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler, authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And then it says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So in chapter 1 it says, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, established above every power, rule, and authority. But then in chapter 2 it says, he seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. Y'all see where I'm going with this? (laughs) Ultimately, if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and we're seated there with him, then that means that if he has dominion, power, and rule, and authority over everything, then we are seated in that place as well. So we have been given power, rule, dominion, and authority here on earth as it is in heaven. (coughs) Amen. Now, one of the last things that I wanted to talk about before we wrap it up is, um, and I don't fully understand the whole theology of this, always, and I don't think it's something that's necessarily a formula, but I wanted to mention it because I felt like the Lord brought it to my heart. 
But there are certain situations because of our authority in which we don't have to ask God to do something because he's already given us the authority to do it. We just have to do it. And what I mean by this is, um, and I think there are some examples of this in the book of Acts. Um, so like, in, for example, in Acts chapter 3, um, there's, a, there's a moment where Peter, and I think it was Peter and John were walking by the temple, and there's this man who's seated, and he's, he's lame, he's disabled, and he's asking for money. And Peter stops, he looks him dead in the eyes, and he says, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. He didn't say, God, heal this man right now. Can you please just heal him? And not that there's anything wrong with that. I don't want to discredit that because I think the Lord will respond when we operate in faith. But I I just feel like there are certain moments where he's telling us to speak forth with authority. You get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, you be healed. In the name of Jesus, spirit, come out of that person. Because it's because he wants us to know that authority. It, you know, I think when it's kind of like where the, the Bible talks about spiritual milk. And when you're, when you're an infant in the Lord, there's maybe almost like spiritual training wheels where, you know, he, he gives us grace to do certain things. But then maybe later on, maybe the old way we prayed doesn't work anymore. And, and again, I'm not trying to say that that doesn't work because I know it does, but I think that there are certain situations where the Lord will ask you to do it or he'll wait till you step out in your authority because we share in that nature with him. Like he's put his nature and his godliness in us through his Holy Spirit. That's the whole purpose of why Jesus left and the Spirit descended so that way we could carry out the ministry of Christ here on earth because he's no longer here. He's seated at the right hand with the Father, and we in the Spirit are seated with him there, so now we have the authority to do the things he did, and Jesus even said, even greater things will you do here on earth than I did, and so I just want to encourage us with that, that, you know, if there are certain situations you've been praying and praying and asking God to do something, maybe perhaps the reason why it hasn't happened yet is because he's waiting for you to act on the authority that he's given you already, and um, I once heard I think it was John Bevere gave a really cool example of this, um, or just kind of a picture to see this. So imagine a soldier out in battle, and he's in the middle of the battlefield, and he's, you know, hiding in the barracks, and he's, he calls the President of the United States on the phone, and he's like, Mr. President, Mr. President, please come help me, get me out of this situation, help me, help me. Well, that President's going to respond and say, son, you have a gun in your hand, use it, like, I'm all the way over here, but you're, you know, you already have what you need to face the enemy that you're fighting, and so I think in a similar way, that's kind of what God does with us. I think there are just moments where, because he's already given us the authority to do it, we don't have to ask him to do it, Um, and so what I want to close with today is just ultimately that everyone here, all of us, you have the authority already. God has given you authority through his Holy Spirit, and his word says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so I want us to leave here today knowing who God is, knowing that he is greater than anything, that there's nothing more powerful, nothing that can stand against him. Um, And also that because of that, because of who he is and who he's created to be, we don't have to waste any more moments being afraid of what the enemy's up to or what he might try to do because we've been given dominion and authority over him. And ultimately, the word also says that God has put Satan underneath our feet. So let's, let's stomp him there and keep him there. Amen. So what I'd like to do, and 
Um, John, I don't know if you want to come up or just have music playing for this, and then those who want to pray, um, the prayer team, if y'all could come up. Um, I wanted to just give an opportunity for us to respond to um, just whatever God's doing. And so first, um, there's two people I want to call out to. So first, if you're someone here that you've been going through a battle, you've been going through some hard things, and it's been tough for you to remember who God is in the midst of that, and you just need someone to stand with you in prayer and to just lift you up and to stand alongside you in building that confidence, then please come up. We'd love to pray with you and just stand in agreement with you to um, just have a better picture of who God is in the midst of your battle. And the second group that I'd like to call on is if you want to step into a greater level of your authority and you want to step into a place of knowing that authority in Christ and we can pray over you and encourage you in that, then please come up as well. And so we're going to go ahead and have some music going and go do some prayer. What's up? Oh, okay. 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 So he just reminded me of a story <coughs> that I'd shared last night, and I hadn't thought I was supposed to share it, but I'll go ahead and share it because, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, so a couple weeks ago, uh, Megan and I had gone to a wedding downtown um, in San Antonio. And it was late at night, and we were walking through downtown. And, I mean, that's just not any place anybody really wants to be late at night, like when you're, you know, walking downtown down the streets. And so we were just walking, and I was praying in the Spirit, and we were just just singing worship and just glorifying God and walked back to the truck and got, got in my truck. We were driving back to our hotel, and we come to this red light, and there's this man who... I'm just going to call it for what it was because I don't want to sugarcoat it, but I'm 99% sure he was demon-possessed just based on the way he was acting. And I think sometimes the Lord just reveals things and you just sense something in your spirit that something's not right. And so there's this man that felt like the Lord was revealing had a spirit. And he was staring at our car just with this evil, just, yeah, just ugliness and laughing, shouting things at our tr truck and just, like, shouting curses at us. I couldn't hear what he said. I don't really care what he said because it has no power or authority against me anyway. But immediately in my spirit, though I felt there was a moment of fear, but yet there was this boldness that rose up within me, and I just was rebuking everything he said. I just said, in the name of Jesus, you spirit, you have no authority over my wife and I. You have no authority over my life. Everything you say falls to the ground in Jesus' name, and I strip you of your power and authority in the name of Jesus. And what was amazing is, you know, you'd think that he'd be up banging on our window trying to do stuff, but I noticed, and we both noticed, that he could only come so close to the truck. And he was kind of pacing back and forth in front of us, but he couldn't get any closer. And later on that night, I felt like the Lord showed me the reason why he couldn't come closer is because I established my fire from heaven around you and he couldn't touch that. There's nothing that that spirit could do to harm you or come against you because of what I established around you. And I just remembered another story, and I'll make this one quick. Um, there's a story I heard of this man who was an ex-Satan worshiper, and he had talked about how he had gone out one day 
and saw this group of people praying and they were like doing street ministry and he felt this influence within him to go try to attack those people. But he said that literally when he went to try to go towards them, he saw this blue ring of fire fly out from them and it hit him so hard that it knocked him backwards onto the ground. And as a result of that, the man ended up becoming a believer and gave his life to Jesus because he realized that the power that he had been walking in was nothing compared to the power of Jesus Christ. He came to know the true power and authority that is here on this earth. And so I just wanted, yeah, so thanks for reminding me of that because those are stories that are examples of just God's authority here on earth, you know, operating in us and moving in us. So if these two things were you and you'd like to come up for prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Um, But I'll go ahead and pray us out um, and we'll go from there. So Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you Lord, for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for the power of it, God, to destroy the works of the enemy. Jesus, you yourself said that I came to set the captives free. I came that they might have life and life to the full. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. And so, Jesus, I just declare and ask, Lord, would you rain your holy fire down right now And that anyone in this room, Lord, any of your people who are here today that are going through a battle, that are going through something, that they've been just even having terrors in the night, God, and just lying awake in fear, Lord, I just say that that ends today in the name of Jesus, Lord, and that your fire would come and burn the enemy out, Lord, that any spirit of torment, any spirit of fear or oppression go right now in the name of Jesus. You are done messing with God's people. And I command you, we come against you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and command you to go. And we praise you, Father, for your mighty work of deliverance that you're doing here today. Set our eyes on you, Lord, in in our battles, Lord. Let our eyes be set on who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.